Mac Brown's Tar Heels are trying to reach heights not achieved since 2015's undefeated conference regular season. Can Heisman candidate Drake May, yeah, I said it, Heisman candidate, and company keep it rolling this weekend in Charlottesville? You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Friday, November 4th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and joining me back with us is our man, Mr. Anthony Pagnotta. Brother, it's so great to have you back on. We want to thank you for making this show your first listen or your first watch every single day. Don't forget, we're free and available anywhere you get podcasts, so you can subscribe right now to make sure that you don't miss a second of your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog. Sign up on underdogfantasy.com with the promo code locked on and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That is insane. Okay, Pagnata, holy smokes, Tar Heels are in the absolute driver's seat in the ACC Coastal Division. Two game lead over Duke and Miami plus the tiebreaker, so you might as well call it a three game lead. Holy smokes, where are you at with kind of this big picture look at things right now? Oh, well, here's the thing, Isaac. As you know, you do not want to ask me, a New York Met fan, what it's like to have a significant lead that looks like you can't give it up in your division. I'm ducking. I'm ducking um, right now. <laughs> it, I, I just, you know, look, I, I think it's great. Um, I think this is something that nobody expected this year. Look, I think, uh, you know, people had some lofty expectations, especially as we got closer and closer to the season. I know. You know, I was a guy that back in the early offseason was probably looking at six, seven wins, you know, because we just really didn't know a whole lot. But once you got to the fall and into fall camp, I said to myself as we got close to the season, you know what? There's there's enough here where I think this team could win nine games. And now we're staring down a possibility where this team could realistically win 11 games in the regular season. And I don't think we thought that Carolina would be even close to that this year. And it's an amazing turnaround from last year when they were six and seven. And you kind of thought to yourself, and and look, you could say whatever you want. You could be the the self-proclaimed greatest Tar Heel fan ever. Um, We all thought, man, is this just what Tar Heel football is? Like we all had that that thought enter. And then look, some of us shook it off. I tried to shake it off as quickly as possible, and I'm glad I did because this ride has been uh, as fun as any. Uh, 2015 was a lot of fun. This one may be even more fun because you've got a Heisman candidate at quarterback that is carrying you. So I'm excited. I think Carolina is a really good football team. I know there are some people that still kind of question what exactly Carolina is because they don't have the ranked wins. But I think Carolina really is this good of a football team. They deserve to be the number 17 team in the country. And uh, I think we are heading towards, you know, a, a season that is going to resemble that 2015 season in a lot of ways. 
with hopefully no incorrectly adjudicated offsides on a uh, onside kick in the conference please, championship I'm going to be in the stadium this time. I do not need to be taken out Dear goodness. by police escort. Please, how, yeah. how can we not get that right in the 2000s? And, and here's what I want to yeah. say with what you said, Anthony, is – like, especially because of the kind of the unexpected nature of it, like the fact that they're sniffing double digits as a possibility, like, let's not just like, I feel like I'm starting to already hear the man, I can't wait till next year. What's Drake may going to do in season two. Listen, Josh Downs ain't going to be like a, the offensive line, probably all, you know, like, let's just enjoy what's happening for these final four weeks of the regular season and whatever bowl game and whatever, if the champion ACC championship game happens, folks, just don't turn your attention too far ahead. Let's live in the here and now. I think that's something I've really started to think a lot about this week. Yeah, because look, man, I think we did some of that in 2020. You know, we kind of exactly said to ourselves, hey, what's going to happen when Sam Howell's a senior and or, or junior, excuse me, yeah. excuse me. Uh, but I think everybody was saying, man, this kid's so special, moving a year forward off the Orange Bowl appearance. This kind of sets us up. And I, I'm with you, especially with what we're seeing from a lot of these guys that offensively may not be with the team next year. Um, I would be shocked at this point if Josh Downs is with Carolina. I know that he's a slot receiver. Um, Draft-wise, he's not going to be valued as highly as some of the other guys, whether you think that those guys are actually better receivers that are outside receivers than him or not. Um, he's probably going to be a second-round guy. But I still think for him, he he will probably I, – I, I would be shocked if he does not go to the NFL draft. And then, you know, Antoine Green, not going to be back next year. He's been so big for what, what a revelation has done Goodness gracious. so far yeah. this year. And you mentioned, you know, the offensive line. Well, of course, Corey Gaynor is going to be gone. Um, Spencer Rollin will be back. That is one guy that came in as a transfer that will be back. But the one that's going to be huge, and I think he, you know, he, he does not get enough credit, and he needs to be talked about, is Awesome Richards. He yes. has been outstanding. Um, yep. This dude is probably, I, and I can't believe I'm saying this, because I, I this was a guy that the last few years – we were very, very critical of him over on the Heel Tough Blog podcast side of things because he struggled at times. This dude might be the best left tackle in the ACC. Um, he does not. He has not allowed a sack so far this year. He has allowed just three pressures, and all of them have been quarterback hurries. So he has not allowed a sack or a hit on the quarterback the entire <laughs> season. That is unbelievable. And I, I, again, it goes back to show. You know, really, Jack McNell Jr. deserves just a ton of well credit said. for what he has done. But you're right. Enjoy this while we are in it. I know, uh, again, we're going to have these conversations in the offseason. Well, the defense can take another step. Look, we, as we saw this year, nothing is guaranteed with this defense either. So, look, while they're playing as well as they are on both sides of the ball, second half of games – in conference play, this team's allowing seven points per game. Um, this team looks like the 2015 defense, which is what we've been asking them to look like the entire season right now as we sit here. Let's enjoy the ride, guys, because I know right now I am, and I, I get it, seasons with expectations are also fun, but that's one of the things, if you look to the basketball season, I love seasons like that where you come in and you expect to win a national title. But also, there's part of it is it's not as fun as last year. No, nope. like especially when you get to the tournament, 
because it's more of a business trip where last year was kind of a, you know, family vacation. You got to enjoy everything that was going <laughs> That's on. Good. So. That's good. That's really well said, man. I, <laughs> I love that. Um, and, and one of the big storylines, obviously, this week, and I know we're going to talk about it, particularly when we get to the defense, but are, are all these unfortunate season-ending injuries. Uh, the one that is the toughest to me, particularly this week, is Noah Taylor. Um, you, you've, I, I felt like it. I don't know if you did. As, as soon as I saw that knee buckle in real time, I'm like, man, that dude's out for the season, right? Like, you're just yeah. waiting on the news, but you know it. But man, for that to happen in the week before he returned, you think about Corey Gaynor going back to play at Miami this year. And and so for that to happen to Noah Taylor the week before the Tar Heels go into Virginia, I mean, that's just like brutal, brutal, brutal. And and what what does that do for a young man? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, look, it's got to be tough. I, I can't, I cannot imagine that. I know that was a game that was going to be extremely special to him. And look, I don't think, that this was a guy that was looking to exact revenge or anything no, like that. No. Like it wasn't that type of game, but I think it was going to be special in the fact that he was going to be able to, first of all, go back there to play them. It's one yeah. thing to just play the team that you transferred from. You're going back to their place. And, you know, this is a chance to prove yourself. And I, I think, you know, he really wanted to play in that game. There's no doubt about it. I think the biggest thing, you know, for for him and 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 for Carolina is, you know, look, it really stinks because this dude's a sixth-year guy. And this is now the second sixth-year guy that we've seen go down with an injury. Um, technically, you know, Ray Boasa coming in as a JUCO transfer was not a six-year a six guy at Carolina. Um, but he had been with Carolina for five years. So um, it's – it, it, you hate to see it because it's it, it's a guy that had done so much for Carolina this year, both in production. Um, I mean, look, he was the leader in tackles for loss. He was the leader in sacks um, amongst the defensive linemen. And he, you know, w- was also a guy that before Kamen Rucker had his big night the other night was right. a leader in um, – was a leader in uh, in hurries. So he had done some tremendous stuff so far this year. But the bigger thing was, I thought leadership wise. You know, we yes. mentioned yep. um, you know a little a, a little while back in the game against Notre Dame that Tony Grimes you know got into a back and forth with a teammate, and it was Noah Taylor. But that was because Noah Taylor that was a penalty that Tony Grimes took for a late hit out of bounds. Noah Taylor immediately not you know hostile getting in his face but kind of just telling him hey man let's be smarter than that um and you know frustrations kind of boiled over at that time and what would you expect remember at that time the defense was really really struggling even even in the games that they had won florida a&m georgia state they were not playing well but you saw a guy that was a leader on this defense and for him to go down it's tough it's tough and then you combine it with des evans injury yeah. And Ray Velasic's injury, man, yeah. that's three starting defensive linemen that are down. That means there is one guy that will have started every single game on the defensive line so far this season, and that's Miles Murphy. And let's be honest with ourselves here. <laughs> I've said this on my podcast as well. You said it on here, yeah. Miles Murphy's not playing well. It's 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 not. This has not been the season we expected for him. So. I, you know, it, it, it definitely hurts and, and it's, it, it is a big concern. 
Well, thankfully, the offense is of no concern right now. Currently eighth in the nation in total yards per game, seventh in scoring in the nation. And so we want to look at what it is that's continuing to fuel this offense. And we'll do that right after I tell you about Underdog. This episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up this college football season. It's super easy to get started and play while you watch your favorite team. In fact, I've created my own account with Underdog, and I'll definitely be taking the over on any of Drake May's numbers and any of the Carolina receivers' numbers. Give me the up on that. If you want to get in on that, you can too. Go to Underdog and make your own picks just like me. It's easy to play and available in over 30 states. Just pick between two and five players across any team in any sport. It doesn't even have to be the Tar Heels and decide if they will finish higher or lower. It's one of the easiest fantasy games to play out there and you could win cold hard cash in a single game. Sign up with promo code locked on one word and underdog will literally double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. Deposit a hundred, get a hundred free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code locked on, all one word. Get in on the college football pick'em action today. Okay, Peg, now let, let's look at this. Man, we've got this revolving door of the running backs. Looks like we're going to have a lot from the depth chart. We're going to have Elijah Green starting for the first time. I believe the fourth different starting running back this season would have been five if British Brooks had started. All, only Mr. George Petaway hasn't started a game of the five healthy running backs. And so uh, when Carolina has the ball against Virginia, how are they going to keep this thing rolling? What are you looking for? Well, you look, I think, first of all, you got to talk about those running backs. What does that backfield look like? And look, it's not just how they carry the football. I think that's probably the thing that people are going to be focused on the most. And it's the most important aspect because, let's be real, outside of really the games that Caleb Hood really turned it on against Miami and Duke, yeah. yep. Drake May has been the best rushing option for this team so far this year. <laughs> They've never really been able to get those running backs going at a consistent pace. I mean, look, you had the game against Florida A&M and Georgia State for Amari and Hampton, but, you know, you've seen him sort of show some freshman, you know, struggle. Some of the things you see with freshmen, indecisiveness. Um, they're, you know, a guy that gets tackled a little bit easy at times. Um, but, you know, again, all that stuff is going to work out. Uh, he is going to be a tremendous player, and he continues to show signs of that, uh, you know, at, at times. He'll be heavily involved as well. But I am really interested to see what does Elijah Green do for this team? Because yep. yep. I think that he can be this year's British Brooks. When British mm, Brooks took over last year, I thought that he was a guy that waited his for, for his opportunity. And you had started to see sort of whenever he was on the field, these momentary flashes. And you said to yourself, man, I wonder what happens if this guy ever really gets a chance to take some carries. Well, Elijah Green sort of had that same feeling to me. Every time that we would see him late in blowout games, really over the last couple of years, but especially, I think, early this year, you would say to yourself, man, I remember back in the fall, back in the spring game, you know, he did some really good things. I, I, why is he not getting more carries? And we kind of learned here over the last, you know, couple of weeks, Mac Brown was talking about him. I don't know if he was 100% healthy. I think he was dealing with something. He got banged up a little bit. And so I don't know if the plan was to get him back in the rotation, but now they have no choice. And <laughs> That's right. I think, I, I think it could work out really well for him. 
Um, he's a different type of back. Um, I, he's a guy that I think he's probably the fastest running back on the entire team. I know George Petaway's got some speed. We haven't really been able to see it, so I wouldn't really be able to compare the two at the college level. But when Elijah Green turns it on when he gets to the edge, he is as quick as any right. back in this backfield. Um, You've and seen I it really, on special teams this season. Oh, exactly. And, and I, I really, really like you know how decisive he was against Duke. And, uh, you know, we saw it a little bit the other night. I, you know, the weird thing about his performance the other night against Pittsburgh, there were he, he had eight carries for 18 yards, but I never really felt like there was a carry where I said to myself, man, Elijah Green could have did more there. Like I yeah. thought it wasn't really on him. So yeah. I, I, I feel confident in that area. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, look, that's, that's probably the area that's the most unproven right now when it comes to the injuries that were sustained that were season ending. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on that end. The good news is, is look, the passing game is (laughs) Is going. (laughs) And, you know, look, I I think one of the things you're always going to watch is what does Drake may do next? What, what kind of encore performance does he have? But I, you know, I'll kind of couple this one with what is the game plan in this one for Phil Longo? I think that what we've seen the last two weeks is teams have figured out, at least in the first half before Phil Longo has made the adjustments, they figured out how to slow down this Carolina offense just a little bit, which is to send a ton of pressure their way. Um, Pretty much, look, create these one-on-one matchups for the offensive linemen. Um, Sometimes you're going to be able to beat them. Other times, you're going to be able to beat up on these running backs that really aren't great in pass protection. And you've seen blitz-heavy schemes from both Duke and especially in that first half last week from Pittsburgh. But I think what Carolina has done in both games, primarily in the second half against Pittsburgh, they really started to focus on getting the ball out quicker, on the quick passing games, on utilizing those tight ends and running backs. What is this game plan in this game? Because to me, you've got to establish the quick passing game right out of the gate. That's right. If you look at this Virginia team, this defense, first of all, they deserve a ton of credit. We have seen some defenses that Carolina's faced early in the year. Georgia State was one of them, and Virginia Tech, one of them. Very good statistically. But when you actually looked at who they played after the fact, when Carolina put up points on them, you said to yourself, Okay, I can see why my logic may have been a little flawed that they were a good defense. This defense, no, this defense is good. This is a legitimate defense. They are tied for eighth in the country in sacks, and they are a team that I think has one of the best corner duos in Mm. the ACC, which is weird to say because their corners a year ago were horrible. Horrible. We we remember that. But one of the guys that was out there, Fentrell Cypress, he has been locked down so far this year. He is allowing less than a 40 uh, quarterback rating against him so far this year. Anthony Johnson on the other side of him has been not as good as he has, but still really good. And he has created two turnovers so far this year. So their outside corners are really pretty strong. So Carolina has got to be able to get it to the other guys in this offense. Or if you're going to attack those corners, it doesn't need to be the deep passing game. One of the things that concerned me the most about that Notre Dame game was the offense looked big play happy in that one. They were looking for a big play or no play, which was how they pretty much ran their offense 
last year, last year and was, I think, one of the biggest flaws. It was exciting to watch when it was working well, but when teams were able to take away those big plays or limit them at least, it was frustrating. Yeah. I don't want Carolina to get back to that. I want to see Carolina focusing on methodically moving the football in this game, and I think that will allow Drake May to just continue to shine and take things to the next level, which he seems to do every time that he's out there on the field. And my final thing that I'm watching is these two receivers, man. On the, <laughs> you got Antoine Green and Josh Downs. They became the first wide receiver duo in program history to go over 100 yards together in back-to-back games. Right. That is stunning because, I mean, you look at some of the receiving duos that Carolina has had, especially in recent memory, and you say to yourself, man, Mac Collins and Ryan Switzer never did that. Even, you know, Ryan Switzer, Bug, ha- Bug Howard, never did it, man. These are the first two guys to do it. And Deami you know, and thing, Daz, nobody. Yeah, the thing that's so interesting to me is that you've got Antoine Green, who I think is just showing how complete of a receiver he was. I was saying this to, uh, you know, my, my co-host Josh Marlowe the other day. I said, man, did we ever expect – like when we – found the news out that Antoine Green was hurt back in early fall when he gets banged up in that scrimmage and he was out. We, we knew significant injury. We were like, okay, they've got some talent there. This is a tough loss, but I don't think anybody envisioned this guy being what he is right now. I mean, right, th- this it, there is a chance that Carolina may have the two best receivers in the conference. Um, he is really playing that good. He is as complete of a receiver as there has been in college football this year. Um, because you're talking about a guy that came in to last week averaging over 30 yards per reception. I mean, that is insanity. Like, that, I, that is unheard of. Um, <laughs> and, you know, then he comes out, and you saw him the other night. That wasn't really his role. He had some moments where they were able to get him the ball down the field. But he became that go-to guy. That guy that Drake made when he needed to make a play was able to go to. And then Josh Downs. I mean, it's just effortless at this point, man. Every week he's going to show up and do something special. He is one of the best route runners that I think I have ever seen. Um, and, you know, that was what we heard about him coming out. He is the best route runner that Carolina has ever had. And they've had some really good ones. But the routes that this dude runs, especially down near the goal line, are just, I mean, they 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 get my football juices flowing, man. I got to <laughs> tell you. It is exciting to watch that do it, dude. That is undeniable. I know I started, uh, I even started trying after, after the game last week, I started trying to look back through all the record books and finally I gave up and I just sent an email to Jeremy Sharp and I was like, dude, has this ever happened before? And so uh, finally I was like, oh, so that's why I can't find it. And so ridiculous what they're doing. I'm continuing to track this red zone efficiency, 36 trips, 33 scores, 29 of them touchdowns. And of those three non-scores, Two of them are kneel downs at the end of a game, Florida A&M and last week against Pitt. And then the only other non-scoring red zone trip was a fourth and four. Um, and um, who was that, Miami? I don't remember. But anyway, it was a it was just a miscommunication yes, from Downs yes, and Drake that May. Was the, the, un, the, the head-scratching move by Mac Brown against Miami for that. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that's so interesting about that is – that was what we heard so many people gripe about with Phil Longo. We heard it from his time at Ole Miss. We saw it a little bit here over the last three years. But this year, I mean, the efficiency down there is unbelievable. And I think part of it is 
the emergence of the tight ends, and the other part is you've got a quarterback, man, that is just as special as it gets because he is so cerebral and he just makes some of the best decisions that I've seen a young quarterback make. Absolutely, he is. Speaking of those tight ends, we're going to have to keep our eyes on Bryson Nesbitt. Uh, would be great to have him back at full strength this week. Now, the question is, can this defense that has been holding up so well, particularly in second halves, how are they going to do now that they are down 75% of their starting D-line? We'll look into that right after I remind you that for your second listen today, we'd love for you to check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available anywhere you get podcasts. All right, so, Anthony, down three starters on the defensive line. You've got said Gray, Power Eccles, doing work from the linebacker core. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe we're starting to see a little progression from the secondary, not so much in the first half, but you're loading up, uh, first half against Pitt, you're loading up trying to stop Abana Kanda and all his ridiculousness, so you can mm -hmm. excuse some of that. Uh, but what are you watching for from the defense this Saturday? Well, yeah, first of all, the defensive line, you know, I, I got to tell you, one of the most – mind-blowing aspects of that game the other night was you lose Noah Taylor early, first quarter, and then you lose Des Evans. And after they exited the game, you played the best <laughs> you played all season. I, I don't – it is it is just – it is the most confusing thing ever. But I got it first – here's the thing. At this point, man, if you don't love Cayman Rucker, right? what are you doing Come on. with your life? Yes. Like this dude – I get it, man. And I think Tim Hasselback said it the other night on the broadcast about as well as you could. This is a dude that is just he, – he has a tremendous motor. He does everything that you want. You just wish that you could put a little more size on him because if you could, he could probably be dominant. And that's the thing is if he can just add the size – and I, I believe they've been trying to with him, but I think it's just so tough for a guy that came out of high school – you know, it, roughly around the 230 range and, you know, was an outside linebacker, probably fits the jack position a little bit more coming, you know, if you look at it, than the power end position. Yeah. But he's just such a good run defender. He does a good job of sealing the edge. I mean, this guy is, he is one of the most exciting players to watch on defense week in and week out. Absolutely. And ho yes. hopefully he's going to be good to go this week. I know. If yeah. He's out. Oh man. Then then we're really scrambling. But I, I I thought he looked really good the other night. Um and and we'll see if that extends into this one. And same thing with some of these other guys. Javari Ritzy, best game he's played as a Tariel, I thought. Um and he look, he had some flashes last year as a true freshman. Man, that dude looked apart the other night. He was shedding blockers. And and here's the thing. He finished with five total tackles, and that's fine. Only half of it, you know, only a half a tackle for loss. My biggest thing with him, though, that I really liked was you saw, even if he wasn't getting to the play, he was in the backfield more. He was there. There was a presence there. And that's something that Carolina's kind of lacked. And look, he's going to be out there a ton moving forward because <laughs> he's a guy that can play D tackle, and he's a guy that can also move to power end. So they're going to use him a ton moving forward. And I think he's got to be one of those guys that steps up, him along with Cayman Rucker. And then the other guy that I really, really liked what I saw from him 
was Kevin Hester the other night. I mm. thought he looked strong on the inside. One of the things we heard all week about this game against Pittsburgh was how Carolina had the, had the chance to get beat up in this game. That was not even remotely the case on either side of the football. I thought they fought on both ends, they especially in the second half. They did. And, I, I, you know, defensively, I thought you really saw, you know, Miles Murphy had a really good play where he shedded a, you know, you shedded a tackle or a blocker, excuse me, and made the tackle. And then you saw, you know, Kevin Hester multiple times finding a way, once again, like I said with Javari Ritzy, maybe he didn't make the play, but was in there to force the play to go in a certain direction. Yes. That's what you want yes. to see, especially from those interior defensive linemen. And frankly, we haven't seen it enough so far this year. So do those guys sort of continue to do that? And who are some of the other guys that come in down there? Um, I thought, you know, 26 snaps the other night. I thought one of the weird things was I don't really think he was overly effective. He did a couple of things. But when Jacoby Cowan was in the game, for some reason, the D-line looked better. I don't know why. Maybe he's he's doing his job, at least taking attention away from guys, whatever. But Cowan's doing a lot for him. Yep. What about Malachi Hamrick? We've yep. heard he could be a guy that features in heavily at the jack position moving forward. Chris Collins, by the way, quietly. I know that you know he's a guy that doesn't really show up a lot on the stat sheet. He's quietly doing some solid things this yes. year. He's holding yep. up well for Carolina. What do those guys do now that they are going to be expected to do more? Um, in terms, you know, the, the linebackers, I think the biggest thing with them is you know, can they continue to hold up in coverage? They've been picked on a little bit in the middle of the field so far this year. One of the things that I, I, I liked the other night, they brought in Ra-Ra Dilworth a little bit more, only played nine snaps, but six of them were coverage snaps, and they did throw him at, at him once. And remember, almost came away with the interception. Right. That play. He was right in That's position right. to make that play. That's one of the things that we raved about the most from him when he came into Carolina uh, was a guy that could flow sideline to sideline. And look, he looked like a safety, so he was a guy that could drop back into coverage. What does Carolina do? Do they use him a little bit more? And can mm-hmm. the other guys there, can Cedric Gray, who you know has had some moments, he, he, you know, he's a guy that's created turnovers before in coverage, but other times really gets picked on. And you know, Power Eccles, can they avoid having to drop him into coverage as much and use him in some of those pressure packages to help the guys up front get pressure on the quarterback? That's going to be a big thing in this game. You got to be able to pressure Brennan Armstrong, who is a little bit banged up. So we'll see how they do that. And then in the secondary, you know, the thing I'm interested to see, I know a lot of the guys the other night really didn't play well. They were getting killed over and over again by that deep post route by Jared (laughs) Wayne. But I thought, first of all, the adjustment in the second half, I think they did a little bit of a better job. I think more of that, you That's just right. have to give credit to the defensive front who got after the quarterback and really put Keaton Slovis under a lot of pressure. But I think a guy that quietly played really well coming off an injury was Don Chapman. And yes. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm at the point, I am so, I am tired of seeing Cameron Kelly and Geo Biggers out there over and over again. Guys, look, man, I know they're playing hard. It's not working out. I, I We need to see other guys back there. Give me Don Chapman. Let, let him start. Let him start at boundary safety in place of Geo Biggers. Let's see if he can handle that starting role. And, and let's see some changes back there because I think right now, you know, some of the guys that rotated in the other night, I thought played better than the guys that started. I thought Legend Cavazos did some yes. good things oh, when he was yep. in the game. Absolutely. And we didn't Absolutely. see enough of them. 
So let's see some of those other guys in there because I think there are some guys that have a chance to you know, be really talented players for you moving forward. It's just we got to see them on the field. See them, yeah. And I think that's been probably my biggest gripe, and I'm right with you. I feel like you said over and over again there, this guy came in and it was better. This guy mm-hmm. came in and it was better. And so um, now maybe some of that is you've got that depth a little more depleted now, but you've got that depth. And over the course of 60 minutes of game action, that's going to win out. And maybe that is part of the scheme and plan from Coach Chiswick. We're just going to have to wait and see how that plays out against Virginia this weekend. So, Mr. Pagnotta, let's wrap this guy up with some predictions for this game on Bet Online, our betting sponsor here on Locked On. The Heels are favored by seven at Virginia, a place they haven't won at since 2016. And the over-under in this game is 61. Now, last time Carolina was there, uh, in 2020, got down by 21 points, fought back, nearly got this thing, but Virginia converted that fourth and three to get the, to hang on to the ball and not give Sam Howell another chance. I think we've seen that the last two weeks. Carolina getting down by double digits and then coming back to me, that's not sustainable. Like you uh, alluded to earlier, I think the Tar Heels have to come out and take this game by the throat and step on it. Um, And so uh, all that in mind, what are your thoughts about the predictions on the score of this game? Well, look, I like them to no doubt cover the spread. Um, I can't believe the spread is actually that small. Uh, Look, I get it. I, I get Carolina struggled against... Virginia, especially in Charlottesville, Mac Brown does not have a win there. I, I can't, I cannot believe that's actually a real stat, but it's true. He's <laughs> never won there. Um, the thing is, though, is this Virginia team offensively is as bad as it gets, and that's why I, I do not think that they will get to um, the over. Um, I think it will be under because I do think, as I mentioned earlier, this defense for Virginia is legit, and and this will be a test for Carolina. Um, it's not going to be easy. I think there'll be some nail-biting moments in the first half. Um, really, I think it'll kind of compare a little bit to the Virginia Tech game and the fact that – That's exactly what I'm think, thinking. Yep. I think Carolina will be in the lead, but I think there'll be a couple of moments where Virginia has the ball and you'll say to yourself, if they score here, all of a sudden they're back in it. That's going to be the type of game I think we're dealing with. I have Carolina winning 35-17, to 17, which to me, I know some people it might not be satisfactory. You'll say, well, you know, you just had a team that didn't score a touchdown in a game where they went four overtimes. Look, I get it, man. I get it. That was one of the ugliest ACC games I've ever seen in my life. But um, I do think that – when you have a game like this where you have to shake some demons, you will have moments where you'll say to yourself, uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. I think you'll see a couple of those moments in this game, but I don't think it's enough for Virginia to win. And I, I, I'm confident in this Carolina team right now. I like them to pick up the win in Charlottesville. I, I'm right with you. I, I honestly almost could just say verbatim, like ditto what Pagnata said there. Uh, I think Carolina wins and certainly covers. Uh, I had the gap a little bit bigger, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be the under because I just don't think Virginia will ultimately score enough. Like it could be 45 to 10 Carolina and you still hit the under on this. And so uh, Tar Heels to cover, but I'm going with the under as well. Should be fun. Carolina gets this win. If they do, they are one game, one victory away from clinching the ACC Coastal. Crazy to think of that reality. But 
it is indeed a reality. Friends, that's it for today's episode and this week of Locked on Tar Heels, your team every day. Coming up next week, it is basketball season first game on Monday. We'll have that going for you. Obviously, the recap of the South's oldest rivalry, Carolina versus Virginia. Busy but great time of the year. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can obviously follow our guy, Anthony, at HTB Anthony. And don't forget, make sure, please, to check out the Heel Tough blog. And you can follow me on Twitter as well, at Isaac Shade. Thanks for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen of the day. We'd love to encourage you to make Locked on Sports today your second podcast of the day. Biggest stories, instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and anywhere else you get podcasts. Hey, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show on YouTube, anywhere else. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button, leave some great comments, and we'd love to hear from you. We hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. Get geared up for basketball season. But for now, this is Isaac Shade for Anthony Pagnotta reminding you that it is always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until next week. Peace.